You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with Dan Swinscombe. He's the owner of two locations of in, in Washington where Peak Sport and Spine Physical Therapy uh, he also teaches some. He's got a course coming up here, you guys. If you're interested in checking it out, he's talking about the Body Swing Connection. So if you're in the Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, uh, next month, that's February 13th, you can check it out. We'll probably have him talk a little bit about that in a little bit when we wrap it up, if you're interested. And he'll tell you where you can find more information. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So I always ask everybody, you know, what got you into, into golf or interested in golf? Uh, for me, it was my dad. My dad was a real avid player. And uh, so, you know, as a kid, dad would always go somewhere on Saturday and he got a little older. Eventually, he got invited to tag along and uh, just watched him and got excited about wanting to go and learn to play myself. And one thing led to another. And here we are 50 years later and I'm still playing. Yeah. Yeah. And you were just telling me off the waves. You're, uh, you're, you got your son doing the same thing, huh? Yeah. Another generation of golfers. Handing down the traditions. That's all that matters, right? That's right. <laughs> awesome. So um, most people probably don't know this about you, but you had a uh, serious shoulder injury. And I came across this, your story uh, on another podcast. And uh, I thought it would be great to kind of see where you are now, because you weren't quite done with the, uh, the whole rehab yet at that aspect. But love to just kind of briefly discuss, you know, what happened to you and, and, and where we are for now. All right. So uh, back a couple years ago, I decided I wanted to try a powerlifting competition. And for those who don't know, powerlifting is just three exercises, a squat, a bench press, and a deadlift. And when you start asking around about how to do one of those, the people who are experts will tell you, you want to do a rookie meet. And a rookie meet is where they assign an experienced weightlifter to you because there's a lot of choreography that goes on. So you're at the right place at the right time. Um, it seems weird now in COVID times to think about having, you know, 150 people packed into a gym, but you got 60 seconds on the platform to get it done. And you need to know where you are, or you kind of gum up the works. So there's definitely a process to it. And so anyway, I was in my rookie meet or I, I decided I was going to do a rookie meet and somewhere towards the end of one year, they give you the schedule of when the meets will be the next. So I was visiting my sister over Thanksgiving weekend and I was at a gym um, visiting her, checking email between things. And sure enough, I got the notice that they set the date for the rookie meet here in Western Washington. And it was going to be February 1st. Thought, well, two months, that's not very much time to prepare. So I probably won't impress anyone with my numbers, but I certainly didn't think I would get hurt, but I was really wrong. And so um, when I was doing the bench press, um, I ended up uh, tearing my rotator cuff. And I can tell you now from firsthand information, 
when you tear a rotator cuff, it doesn't make a tearing sound. It makes a crunching sound. <laughs> and uh, I thought I must have torn my labrum. I thought I had torn cartilage because of how it sounded, um, but it was awful. And I still had to do the deadlift. Um, and I had about an hour before I was supposed to be on the platform again, and I couldn't move my arm. And so little by little, I went backstage and um, tried to figure out what I could do. Um, and eventually time came where I was able to deadlift and I ended up winning a gold medal. So the cool thing is I won my division. So I was very excited about that, um, but I paid a heck of a price. So that's how I got hurt. Come home with a gold medal and a, a bad arm, right? <laughs> yeah, I drove home with one arm. <laughs> All right. So this is the part that, you know, I obviously as a physical therapist, uh, I find very, very fascinating is, is your decision to uh, not go with surgery and to rehab it. Um, I'd love to just kind of with your personal experience of how you kind of went about this and, and, you know, well, we, so as a PT, we know that rotator cuff tears are very prominent as we get older, um, particularly. And so I guess, yeah, why don't we just go with that? So we know that prom- they're pretty prominent and that people get them uh, as we get older, just kind of way of life, almost a thing. And so, what kind of led you to that decision of not going with a surgery when you had a pretty good size tear? Sure. Um, so the, the meet was on a Saturday. So on Monday, I called the doctor friend of mine and he got me in and he did an ultrasound on my shoulder and he saw that I had split my biceps tendon and he thought that I tore my pec, but he couldn't see that, but he thought for sure that's what I did. I thought for sure I tore my labrum and there's only so much you can see with Um, an ultrasound. So we both agreed the smart move would be to get an MRI. So I got an MRI and it turns out what I had done is I had a full thickness rotator cuff tear in my supraspinatus and a couple other partial thickness tears in my supraspinatus. And then I had a full thickness tear in my subscap and a couple other partial thickness tears in my subscap. And I subluxed my long head biceps tendon, which means I tore the, the ligament, the ligament that holds it in the groove there. Um, And so now we had information. So we discussed the results and he goes, so I'm, I'm sure you have an idea of what surgeon you want to talk to. And I said, why are we assuming I need surgery? And he's like, you read the results same way I did. And I'm like, well, yeah. So to me, it just, it seemed like, I don't want to use the word irresponsible, but I guess I'll go there. It seemed irresponsible to think I need surgery if we haven't even tried to rehab it. So it wasn't that I was against surgery. I just, I wasn't convinced I needed it unless I needed it. So I, you know, I'm a physical therapist. This is what I do. I'm just going to, now I'm the patient and the therapist at the same time. And so um, I just started doing my thing and started rehabbing it. And it just kept going and going and going and able to do more and more. And thankfully never had surgery, but that's really unusual for the extent of the damage that I had. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I guess with that, how long did it take to kind of rehab? You know, so um, I started in earnest uh, that first week in February. And to give you an idea, when I first started, like when I left the meet that day, I couldn't take my shoes off because I couldn't reach well with two hands. I couldn't reach my foot. I couldn't hardly move my arm at all. Thankfully, with the deadlift, it just hangs straight down. Um, but um, I really couldn't move it at all. It just hurt too much. So um, everything I was doing at first was basically active assistive range of motion and just trying to get um, whatever I could. And so I utilized a TRX a lot and I just kind of 
you know, had the handles in my hands and sort of walked forward and kind of took my arms for a ride and uh, just tried to get them up higher and higher. And um, I got to experience firsthand how powerful muscle guarding can be and how it feels like impending doom when you're doing something completely normal, um, like moving your arm halfway up, you know, but it felt like the damn thing was going to fall off or something. So I had to really do some mind ninja tricks to intellectually say, I know this is not going to harm me because all I'm doing is raising my arm with assistance to some angle. Um, but oh my goodness, it was, it was pretty tough. So um, every facilitation technique um, I'd ever heard of, tried, created, um, and that, that was the start. And then once I finally had a little bit of range of motion to work with, um, I just really started integrating everything that I could um, to make my arm work through the rest of my body. And um, one thing I always tell people is, you know, the, when people think of rotator cuff, they think of all these ER, IR exercises with bands or something like that. And said, so, well, that would be trying to strengthen something I don't have. And, you know, it's one muscle group and no muscle group works alone. So why would I want to isolate something? I want to integrate. So I just really uh, spent tons of effort on trying to integrate my arm's ability to work with the muscles in the rest of my body. The fact that I already knew how to do like kettlebell swings and snatches and things of that nature uh, gave me a really significant advantage because I could snatch something before I could press it as an example, or a Turkish getup. I could Turkish get up something over my head before I could um, press it over my head, things of that nature. So the, the movement skill I had prior to my injury allowed me to do things better because I'm certainly not going to teach someone how to do a kettlebell snatch as part of the rotator cuff rehab if they never learned it before, because when you're learning, you have bad reps and th th those can cause you a problem. Um, but if you already know it and you're competent with it, you can start. And I remember late in the month of February doing kettlebell swings with a tiny little, like a six kilo kettlebell. And I kind of did it empty handed at first just to see, can I even do this motion ballistically? And I could, and I thought, well, here goes nothing. I'll give it a try. And it was really scary, um, but it turned out fine. And, and that's how most everything I did was is like, this is really scary, but I'm going to try it. And a lot of times the first rep is unpleasant. And then the second one's better, third one's better. And sometimes you can go from something that starts out pretty unpleasant and then is really no big deal at all shortly thereafter. And so um, recognizing how to interpret pain with the movement, because you're probably taught the same thing. If it hurts, don't do it. Right. We're taught that in PT school, like don't hurt people. Right. right. The, the, the oath we all take. Right. Do no harm. But intellectually, we can understand if, I, if you're asking someone to raise their arm over their head, that should not harm them. It might hurt, but it shouldn't harm. So if I was doing that and it hurt a little bit, and it's not like keep in mind, I'm I'm not Mr. Tough Guy. I'm not enduring ridiculous pain. It was unpleasant, but it wasn't that bad. So I would go into where it was painful and then keep repeating that and just see how the pain behaved. If the pain would gradually lessen, I'd keep going. If the pain would worsen, I would listen to that signal and modify or do something different. Yeah. I, so that was kind of the process. That's great. I love that. Cause I talk to, to my, my folks all the time, you know, I live pretty close to the Blue Ridge mountains uh, in the Shenandoah Valley. And so I tell them, Hey, if we're walking out there and you're walking along in the mountains on this trail and there's a beautiful view over the, over the edge there, you don't want to go walking just over the edge to see the view, right? You go to the end of the edge and then you back off, right? Great analogy. No, keep yeah. walking. 
And so it's, I use that all the time. So it sounds like exactly what you were kind of talking there is you kind of did it and you, you see how, how it goes and, and you finally get more and more comfortable and it seems like you can get farther and farther. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's something that really taught me is, is not to get hung up on pain so much, but get hung up on the pain, how the pain behaves. So, you know, if you stop people, if one rep hurts and you stop, your progress is going to be a heck of a lot slower than if one rep hurts and ask them, is that pain acceptable to you? Could you do a couple more times? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you do it a couple more times and see how it behaves? See if it gets a little bit better. Oh yeah. It's, it's not nearly as bad now. Oh, okay. Let's keep going then. Right. You just kind of pay attention to those signals. And so I've gotten a lot better at that since that occurred to me. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause you know, we, we do that a lot with like a McKinsey style treatment for the back. For those that don't know, you know, just kind of a repeated movement to, to see how the pine responds to the movement. And but you don't necessarily see that as much in most other treatments, you know, for the shoulder or, or for the knee and stuff like that. Um, so that's a really, really interesting concept of, yeah, let's see how does it, how does it respond over repeated movement? Because we know movement's the key to, to getting things better. Well, and, and that combined with, I mean, are you doing some crazy motion that somebody made up under a huge load or are you just trying to move your arm through space? So, you know, if something weird hurts, maybe that's not a good plan, but I'm just trying to get my, you know, reach my shoulder blade behind my head or behind my back or, you know, simple, ordinary reach overhead type movements. So again, intellectually, I could, I could make sense that this shouldn't cause me any harm. So if I know it's not going to hurt me, how can I get past this guarding? Cause I know I'm not putting any tension in an abnormal way through anything. So therefore, why would it hurt? Well, it hurts because my brain is scared of what the heck's going to happen. So me and my brain had a little conversation and we just tried to work together and get past it. Yeah, I love that. It brings the, the one in charge. So that's, uh, yes. that's the one we got to convince, right? The nurse just do, do their job. They're just the alarm system and the brain's the one that makes all this decision. So yes. tell yourself that, that it's okay. It's kind of like in the golf world, you sit there and you, you tell yourself, okay, we're going to do this and the more you kind of convince yourself that that's what's going to happen, more likely it's going to happen, right? You're going to have those misses, but yeah. yeah. So you say, I'm going to hit the ball on the green, not I'm going to try to miss the water. Yeah, exactly. Right? Talk about what you're going to do and not what you're not going to do. Yep. Yep. That's perfect. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the stuff you mentioned, some of the exercises you were kind of doing and wanted to know any kind of specific things, because I know you mentioned the kettlebells. I know you've used sandbags a good amount. I've seen some of your stuff doing that. What kind of things mm-hmm. did you use to kind of bulletproof the shoulder, you know, get your shoulder back yeah. to being able to use it and, and not have that fear that something's going to happen to you? Yeah, I use those a lot. Um, I think the, 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 once I got to the point where I could use the sandbag, so that was a big deal to me because so many really outstanding exercises to integrate body parts to work together is why I like the ultimate sandbag so much. I don't think there's anything like it at all. So um, like when Josh and Jessica talked to me about teaching with them, they said, you know, we really think this should be used more in rehab, but it's really made a big name for itself in fitness. I'd argue it should have been in rehab first. It's, it's, it's ridiculous how much better of a tool it is than other things available to you out there to retrain movement patterns. Again, I just... I, when thinking about, you use the term bulletproofing your shoulder, if your shoulder is trained, like it's a body part by itself, it's not bulletproof. It's not even BB gun proof. 
There's just, it will not be strong. What makes it strong is it's integration into the rest of the body. And that's what I trained. So again, if you have a rotator cuff tear, so what? Really, my problem wasn't that I had a rotator cuff tear. My problem was I couldn't raise my arm over my head. So if I want to raise my arm over my head or I want to be able to lift weight over my head, then if you solve a movement problem instead of a tissue problem, you look at it differently. So if I'm trying to solve a movement problem, what muscles are involved with getting my arm over my head? Lots of them, not just the rotator cuff. Obviously, it plays a very important role, but it plays a role. It's like one instrument in an orchestra. The whole orchestra has to do everything and the conductor has to know what's going on, right? The nervous system. And so um, I feel like the ultimate sandbag is just super useful for that because it forces you to create tension everywhere. And for those, um, the tension of the body to work as one unit to create movement patterns. So the lightest uh, lightest, um, sandbag I have is 10 pounds. And the day I could finally use that was a big deal to me. Cause then that opened up so many other exercises that I just couldn't do because I couldn't use the sandbag at first, or I would tension the bag rather than move the bag. And um, that's a different animal too. But um, to be able to utilize the ultimate sandbag and do uh, a variety of exercises with that um, exercises that everybody knows like a dead bug. But when you do a dead bug with an ultimate sandbag in your hands and a band around your feet, you are facilitating head to toe, those diagonal cross-body patterns that we all use with normal movement. And I don't know of anything that facilitates it better than that. And that's why I use it for myself and use it for my patients. Um, But that drill, um, a simple bird dog drill, again, with a band around your feet and you drag the the sandbag sideways on the ground, um, the way that forces things to work together uh, is amazing. And how when you go to move your arm, it hurts. But when you go to move your arm in that fashion, it doesn't hurt because you're the the bag and the band are giving so much signal to your body to recruit other muscles. Um, it's just really, really amazing how many patterns you can get with that thing with some pretty relatively ordinary exercises that we've all done before. And like bridging, bridging is an exercise everybody's done a million times. How often do you use bridging with a shoulder rehab? Probably not very often, but I did a ton. Um, I would bridge up to facilitate my backside. And then while I'm bridged up, I can do lift and chop patterns with the sandbag or I can do pullovers and imagine holding um, like I was just doing these the other day. I'm holding a 60 pound sandbag over my head while I'm in a single leg bridge position. I'm trying to tear the bag apart right to left, left to right, and then take it over my head, touch the ground and bring it back. That's what I'm capable now. I could barely do that with 10 pounds when it started. Um, But you just do exercises like that exercises you've seen before little bit of a spin on it different than you what you may have used it and you start linking things up so when i use the bridge i feel like i'm linking my glutes through my lats into my shoulder when i'm doing the dead bug i feel like i'm linking my oblique abdominals and my serratus into my shoulder uh etc and uh it is again it's um it sounds like i'm doing an ad for it but it's a it's an amazing tool um so anyway i did a lot of that <laughs> to answer your question awesome awesome so some, some of your basic movements, but then you're adding in, in that tools where you're creating more, more tension throughout the whole body, essentially. You got it. Yeah. So by having the, not just the weight of the bag, because people say, well, can't I just hold a dumbbell? Well, yeah, of course you can hold the dumbbell, but the dumbbell is narrow and the bag is the width of your shoulders. So my shoulders are in a better alignment. I've, the, the handles of the ultimate sandbag have a little play to them. So I have feel of the tension when I try to pull them apart. Of course, it has the weight. 
And uh, so it gives me feedback. And then when I have the band around my feet, in addition to that, to facilitate that more, um, it really gets your whole body working together. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a remarkable tool. What are, what are some, you know, I know you work with um, a decent amount of baseball players from, from what I can understand. And yes, so rotational athlete, very similar, a lot of, a lot of similar concepts to, to golfers. Uh, so For what sure. are some of your like kind of go-to options when, when using uh, whether it's kettlebell sandbag or any other kind of typical mm-hmm. instrument? Yeah. So from a, a, by and large, I think for rotational athletes, whether we're tennis, golf, baseball, softball, what have you, um, getting the upper and lower body to work together. So, you know, just like you, how you initiate the downswing in golf, hopefully your lower body is leading the way. And then your core comes around, transfers force out to your hands and then extends out through the club face and you hit the ball. And so exercises that work on that pattern, again, not thinking about any one tissue, but what's the motor pattern I'm trying to get. So some drills like with the, the sandbag, the, the one that's probably the most famous of them is their max lunge. Uh, that is fantastic for that. Um, I'll have people do that one a lot. I have a variety of different ways. I'll have them hold the sandbag to whether we're going to emphasize maybe some more thoracic rotation or more into their hip or what, whatever. Um, we use that a lot. Um, they have an exercise with that called an around the world, which is a lot like doing a halo, if you uh, will um, lose those. Um, I like to, yep, just like that. If, I don't know if people see the video that I just saw, but the gesture you just, <laughs> that was the one. Um, I'll use that a lot with a, a kettlebell. Um, I have them do uh, lunges in that fashion. Um, I'll have people hinge over like they're doing a, um, a deadlift. So let's say I'm a, a right-handed thrower. If I hinge into my left leg, like I'm about to do a deadlift, the kettlebells in my right hand, and then we'll do some rows in that position. So I want them on their lead leg to be rock solid. And I want people unstable on their lead leg. Um, there's a lot of forces at that point in time, the throwing pattern, right? As the ball release your hand, release releases from your hand that I want to make sure that they have control over. Um, so I'll do things there. Um, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A clean, uh, where you start them in sort of a lunge position and then you have them reverse that and do a clean. Um, I'll have guys in a half kneeling position and clean up to stand from the half kneel. So you kind of are opened up like that stride position, if you will, with all their weight essentially on one side and they have to drive up from that do that both ways. Um, med ball throws, um, you know, we call them stork turns where basically you stand on one leg, rotate away, and then have something with some weight in your hand, like a weighted ball and extend that out. Just like what it'd be essentially for golf swing. If you think of turning into your trail side and then reaching back like that, and then going into your front side on the other one. Um, so many different things like that, where it's upper bodies going one way, lower bodies doing the other, or your lower body's trying to go one way and you're resisting that. So anything where they're, they're moving or resisting those, those counter rotations of pelvis and thorax or uh, any sorts of creative ways to do that with a pulley. Um, there's the, I think mean, they call it that strap. I don't remember the name of the strap, but the one you wear it like a sleeve of a coat, like the RNT tubing, you know, that's very clever. Yeah. I like to use that. Um, sometimes I'll even just do it with dumbbells. You know, it's not like we don't use dumbbells too. Um, we'll have one where we have people, you look like you're starting a lawnmower. So we call them lawnmower lunges. So like the dumbbells in my right hand, I lunge forward with my left and my right hand reaches across my left lead leg. And then as I come back, it's kind of like that motion of starting a lawnmower. So it's kind of like a lunge and an external rotation of your shoulder and a little bit of rotation of your core at the same time. Things of that nature. There's so many, it's kind of hard to describe verbally. Um, but I think as a concept, 
recognize that everybody that works with a pitcher thinks they want to do a bunch of ERIR sort of stuff. Um, and that is just a tiny little cherry on top. The bulk of it is controlling rotational forces uh, through your core. So if your upper body wants to go one way and your lower body wants to go the other, something has to make sense of that movement and control it, and that's your core. So a lot of anti-rotation kinds of things in addition to rotational kinds of things. Yeah, I like some of those. So that's a very long answer to a short question. I hope that was okay. <laughs> that's good. Um, so it sounds like a lot, a lot of things is, you know, you're creating stability with that lower leg or maybe even a little bit of, of, of power generation with that lower, lower body as the upper body has to do um, certain movement, we'll say, you know, we're talking like the lunge and the row and, and stuff like that, and, um, which is obviously, you mentioned the creating the forces from the ground. So we have to have nice, strong lower legs. So that, that makes a lot of sense there. And adding in the arm movement to kind of, you've been talking about most of this time is kind of integrating everything they're making everything work together. I think that's what you're getting when you incorporate some of this arm movement. Exactly. Whereas, you know, most of the time yeah, we think, okay, we're just going to do lunges and you're holding this weight and you're not doing anything with that. The legs are getting stronger, but you're not having that integration. Exactly. And then it's that cross body pattern of right arm, left leg and vice versa. Then you can take that into doing like some med ball throws. We have a brick wall at the back of our, our clinic. And so we beat the heck out of that with uh, med balls and, so we do shovel throws and shot puts and slams and things. And so the same thing, kind of helping people train them how to, you know, get into your trail side, transfer weight and exude power out the front side. And then we always go bilaterally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess what is the, uh, the benefit for, for going bilaterally with most, most rotational athletes there? Yeah. So the, to me, uh, the way I explain it to people is let's, you know, most people are, are right-handed. So you're going to throw a ball, hit a ball, whatever it's going to be right-handed. So your brain is going to try to generate power to hit the ball or throw the ball. Um, something has to, after you hit the ball, prevent you from getting injured with all that leftover energy that wasn't imparted to the ball and decelerate that effectively. And the, the muscles that accelerate you to one side are the muscles that decelerate you to the other and the better you get at decelerating, the more your body will let you accelerate. It's like the body has this internal speed governor. If it recognizes you don't have control, it'll throttle you back. And so uh, that's the last thing we want for anybody. So we want to make sure they have plenty of control. We, uh, we kind of talked to a lot of different things here. Um, is there any good place where people can kind of you know, get some of the videos of things that we talked about? Do you guys have any resource along those lines? Yeah, sure. If they um, go to YouTube and look up my name, I've got a YouTube channel where we have um, our exercises in. Um, I think pretty much all of them on YouTube, there's explanation like do this, think of this, try this. So that it's not just a video that you watch, but there's some amount of coaching that goes on with it. And then if they wanted to follow me on Instagram, um, normally Instagram, I just kind of show examples. I don't spend a ton of, of you know time talking about how to do it or whatever. I just demonstrate it. Um, but on YouTube, we use that for our patients all the time. We send them home with, with the link as a kind of a support to their home exercise. So there's coaching cues there. So if they want to have an idea of kind of the why behind it, or, um, some things to think about while the exercise is being performed, YouTube's probably there. If you're looking for entertainment and ideas, then that's probably more Instagram. Getting into some of our, our wrap up questions here. What's your favorite golf memory? Favorite golf memory. I think for me would be. My dad and I were going to play in a father and son tournament when I was a kid. And we were playing with my best friend and his dad. We were all going to be in the tournament together. And it was a couple of days beforehand. It was the only time the four of us had played together prior to that. And a uh, little practice round. And on that round, my dad got a hole in one. Oh, wow. 
So that's super cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's probably it for me. Awesome. What is your favorite exercise or drill to improve your personal game? Uh, for me lately, I've been um, trying to video my swing from different angles more so I can see the ugly truth and uh, try, try to uh, get some help there as a guy that I got lessons from one time. He said, what you feel is not always what is real. Cause uh, he was asking me to do something I'm like I am doing. It. it was like, no, you're not. <laughs> Let me video you and show you that. And then he showed me, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's not at all what I thought I was doing. Yeah. So for me, video has been useful to help me identify uh, the ugly things that I see in my swing that I wish I didn't. That's funny. Um, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. My brother, uh, he was a pretty good college golfer. Um, and anyways, and he, he taught for a while, but I remember when I was, I was in high school and he was, he was telling me, you, you have your club face up. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> I, have, I have it closed <laughs> or like I have it neutral or whatever. And he kept telling me, no, no. And then, you know, showing me, I'm like, Oh, I always felt like it was, <laughs> that was not right. Like that was bad. And I was doing the right thing. And yep. What you feel is not always real. I like that. Recalibrate. <laughs> yep. Uh, what is one takeaway you want listeners to apply to you from today's conversation? Uh, well, from a number of people like yourself, um, that I've been able to talk to that, like, wait a minute, he's got two full thickness rotator cuff tears. He didn't have surgery and he's doing everything. Um, please understand that there's, there's a thing called the nocebo effect, just like a placebo, a placebo effect means they did something that shouldn't make you feel better, but yet you felt better. And supposedly about 30% of all results in all medical things have a placebo component nocebo is the other way around where you feel terrible even though you shouldn't and that happens a lot with bad mri results and i don't want to say an mri has no value because of course that it does but it's just a piece of the puzzle it's a piece of information no more no less so i've got some tears in my rotator cuff okay but i move pretty well so and i don't hurt what does that mean i guess it means you got a pretty normal shoulder and when you start looking into data and you start searching how many asymptomatic shoulders have rotator cuff tears and population wide, it's like a third and it gets more every decade of life old you are such that over 50% of people over 60 have cuff tears visible on MRI. And mind you, these are the asymptomatic people. So, um, you know, when MRI, I'm old enough to remember life before MRI. And when MRI came into the medical world, everybody thought the MRI was going to tell us what's going wrong. You know, let's get an MRI. Let's find out what's going wrong. And really what we've learned over time is the MRI doesn't tell you what's going wrong. The MRI gives you evidence of what happened. So what, what happened is you have a disc bulge. Okay, why? It doesn't tell you. It's kind of like you go down the street and you see somebody's house burned down. Well, you don't know if it's arson or they had a bad wire. You just know the house burned down. It's after the fact. And so, you know, again, 60% of all people who are symptom-free with their spine have some annular tear or disc bulge and the number of what knees with meniscus tears that feel fine is like 10%. I mean, hips, it's, it's a big number with the labral tears. So what we've learned over time since MRIs have gotten cheaper is normal means a little bit broken. And so if you have dysfunctional, bad looking films, you won't necessarily have to have surgery. It just means maybe you need to work on your movement quality. Because if your movement quality is bad and your MRI is bad, fix the movement first. You might turn out really happy. Love that. Thank you um, for that. That is great. I, I always talk to people. Uh, I had a knee injury playing football in high school and I was like, got meniscus tear, you know, some, 
some other probably some other stuff going on in there at this point, but hasn't hasn't limited me one bit uh, and whatnot. So you know, and so that's that's definitely good to uh, to remember. All right, thank you, Dan, so much for coming on. Before we have you, before we wrap this up, tell us where can we keep up with you and what you're doing and uh, support you and what you're doing. Well, thank you very much. Um, like I said, uh, uh, Dan Swinsko at YouTube or Instagram. And then if you happen to be in Scottsdale in the next couple of weeks on Saturday, the 13th, a friend of mine, Jeff Barron has a physical therapy office down there called evolution physical therapy. And he's going to have me do a workshop on the body swing connection. So uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about movement and golf, uh, we'll be talking about it that afternoon. So you can go to evolution physical therapy call their place and uh, reserve a spot for yourself. Awesome. Well, that is it for this episode of golf under par podcast. We'll have some of this information in, uh, in the show notes below. So you guys can check that out. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you, Dan, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource for you, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.